first reading tonight is from Genesis 11, uh, verses 1 to 9, and you can find that on page 7 of your Bibles. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The second reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and that's on page 771. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. It's good to be with you again tonight. My name is Paul. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Genesis, so please turn back to uh, page 7. Tonight we're looking at Genesis chapters 10 and 11. It just struck me, um, just as I was hearing the Bible read then, that it is a privilege to have uh, the Bible in our own language, just to sit here every week and to hear the scriptures explained. Um, Somebody I know who is uh, currently working as a missionary in Tanzania, and he describes how in those early days in Tanzania, it was just so hard because he went to church week in, week out, and he just couldn't understand what was being spoken because he didn't understand the language. And it's just good to remind ourselves, uh, God's been good to us. We've got the scripture in English, and week in, week out, we can come together and hear it explained. So let me pray and ask that we wouldn't take this for granted, and that Spirit would really speak to us tonight. I'll give you a moment by yourself just to prepare your minds and your hearts and maybe you want to pray to God yourself that he would speak to you clearly tonight.
Father, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you recognize these words from a famous pop song. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying. It's time to lend a hand, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on pretending day by day that someone, somewhere, will soon make a change. We're all part of of God's great big family. The truth, you know, love is all we need. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true we'll make a better day, just you and me. That change will only come when we stand together. And stand together as one. The, the, the wisdom from the, the late Michael Jackson, we are the world, we are the children. We can make the world a better place. We just start giving. We can make a difference, just you and me, when we come together as one. And I guess that is a dream of, of pop stars all around the world. You know, Bono, a couple of years ago in his pop concert, he had the word coexist. Uh, his dream, his vision that all the different religions of the world would come together as one, all the people united as one. And we have millions of dollars being poured into this pipe dream called United Nations. Wouldn't it be great if the whole world came together as one? Imagine this. Imagine this kind of world. Imagine a world where there's just one language. No, no French, no German, no Spanish, no Creole, no Mandarin, no Cantonese. Everyone spoke the same language. Imagine a world where there's just one culture. Everyone drinks a coffee the same way. Everyone dresses the same way. Imagine a world where everyone greets one another the same way. You don't have to stop and think, do you bow, do you shake hands politely, do you embrace, do you kiss on the left cheek, do you kiss on the right cheek, do you kiss on both cheeks. It's just social customs, because you know how to behave, because we're just one. Imagine a world where everybody eats the, exactly the same type of food, same spices, same herbs, same meat, same veg, same rice. Everyone eats the same food. Imagine a world where uh, there's, there's one currency, no exchange rates, no banks, just one currency. Imagine a world where there's one driving code. Everyone drives on the, on the right side of the road. Uh, a world where there's one newspaper, one religion, one political system. Imagine a world where, as a, as a 15-year-old, it doesn't matter where you live in the world, you've got the same education and the same expectations and the same opportunities because we're just one world. That would be an extraordinary world to live in, wouldn't it? One nation, one culture, one people, one language. I reckon language is a big one. Do you know how many languages there are in the world? Have a guess. Last known, it was 6,809 known languages. It's extraordinary, isn't it? 
Because language is how we communicate. Language is how we express things. Language is how we tell each other that we're happy or we're sad or we love someone or we hate someone. And language is how we talk to God and we pray to God and we praise God. And language is how God talks to us. Have you ever had that kind of that experience where you just are so frustrated because you can't understand the language? I remember being in China a few years ago. I've been in Beijing for about a week, and I wanted to buy a train ticket to Xi'an. I spoke absolutely no Mandarin. Uh, they spoke no English. It literally took hours just to buy a train ticket because we couldn't communicate. We couldn't understand each other. I, I was drawing pictures, and they were drawing pictures, and we just couldn't understand each other. I was in Ethiopia uh, a few years ago. Just a word of warning here. In Amharic, the language of Ethiopia, the word for minister is very similar to the word for prostitute. <laughs> now that can get very confusing. Languages, if you don't understand each other, it's just so frustrating. I'm being in India, uh, and they have this little custom where if they shake their head like that, it means yes. And this means, I'm like, do you mean yes or do you mean no? And they've got this sort of custom or culture where they can't actually say no to anything. And so even when they want to say no, they say yes, but they have no intention of actually doing it. And that is kind of frustrating until you understand their culture and understand their language. Even here last week at a church by the bridge, we had a, a community lunch. And there was a whole table, a whole table full of of Mandarin or Cantonese-speaking people, and I wanted to go and talk to them. I wanted to go and say hello and greet them and welcome them and talk about Jews. I couldn't because I spoke no Mandarin. Have you ever been in that situation where you're desperate, you want to tell somebody who you are and what you like and what you dislike, but you just can't speak the language? That's the kind of frustrating world that we live in. Imagine a world where we all spoke one language we're one culture and one nation and we have understanding and unity and intimacy and uniformity. We're supposed to look at our globe, if you want, look at all the different countries and all the different subcultures and all the different political systems and currencies and we're supposed to say, whoa, where did all that come from? How did we start off with one man and one woman in a garden and then we ended up with a flood and Noah and his wife and the Three sons and three wives came off the boat, and suddenly, what, 8,000 years later, 6,000 years later, 4,000, however long you think this was, we've got all these different countries, different languages, different subcultures. How on earth did that happen? Friends, there was a day when you didn't have to learn Spanish or Mandarin or Creole. There was a day when we all spoke the same language, the same culture, and the same customs, and it's the, the day that you read about in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Because these chapters explain our, our globe, explain, explain our cultures. If you just joined us, we're working through our way through Genesis. We started off with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, they were perfectly made by God in the image of God. They loved God and they worshipped God until they disobeyed and sin entered the world. And then you saw the spiral down and down and down until you reach the stage in history where God looks at his world and he says... You know what? I'm grieved I made this world. Because every inclination of the human heart is only evil all the time. And I'm really sad that I made this world. And so he sent this flood and he wiped out the earth. And when you get to chapters 10, it's like you know, reading 
a phone directory or something, all this list of people. We're going to read it later. And as you read this list of people, it keeps saying these nations had their own language and their own tongues. You're supposed to say, how did that happen? Let's look at chapter 11 to find out how it happened. The problem was a, a sin, and it's called the sin of human pride. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinna and settled there. Whatever you hear in the Bible moving eastward, you're supposed to think moving away from God. You know, when God banishes them from the garden, he sends them to the east. And you're going eastward and eastward and eastward. They're moving further and further and further away from God. And they find a plain in Shinna, and they settle there. They put down roots, and there's nothing new under the sun because the construction industry starts, and the Aussie dream of owning a home, it all starts here. Verse 3. They said to each other, come. Let's make, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said... Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Is there anything wrong with that? Is it a sin to build a city? I don't think so. Cities are great things. Was it, was it a sin to build a tower? Not necessarily. But look at the wording in, in verse 4. A tower that reaches to the heavens. This tower is going to move upwards and upwards and upwards towards God. Uh, there's nothing really wrong with that, except the attitude. Why are they building a city? Why are they building a tower? Look at verse 4. So that we may make a name for ourselves. And so that we might not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That's the problem. That's the sin. Uh, this name for yourself and, and this desire to gather and not be scattered. And underlying both is this thing called Pride. Look at those two. Make a name for yourself and gather and not scatter. Verse 4. We may make a name for ourselves. Can you imagine these people at this time going, we want to be known as these extraordinary people with the best infrastructure. We want to be known in, in, in times in the future, in history. We want to make a name for ourselves. People look back and say, hey, that generation, they were somebodies. They were extraordinary people with amazing skill and ingenuity. And hey, wow, I'd love to be those people. Can you imagine the people going, we want to have our, our names in print somewhere. And so our great-grandchildren can open a book and see our name in print. And hey, wow. That would be awesome because I want to make a name for me. I want to make my name great, they're saying. And do you know what I reckon deep down inside each one of us is that desire just to be recognized and to be remembered in some way? Go and admit it. Wouldn't you love it if somebody remembered you in 50 years' time. Oh, Paul Dell, he was that rector in Kirribilli. Awesome guy. Isn't that why you've got these sort of, these D-list celebrities just going after their 15 minutes of fame, getting their name in print somewhere? 
being somebody's. Deep down inside each one, it's what we teach our kids, you know. You can be somebody. You can leave your mark on the world. People might remember you in 50 years' time. Get your name in a book somewhere. Get a blog somewhere. Be somebody. Make a name for yourself. And we, you know, we call it self-esteem. And yeah, there are people who need to be built up and encouraged and say, yeah, you can do stuff. But not so that they can be remembered. Because the Bible tells us that our reason for being, our purpose for existence, if you want, is not to make a name for ourselves, but to make the name of Jesus Christ great. The reason you're here is to bring glory to the one who made you. The reason you exist is that people might look at you and say, wow, their God is great, and their Savior is a mighty Savior. And yet deep down inside us, there's this thing called pride that says, hey, I just want to be recognized as somebody. Now, even when you do something good, it's good to praise people. It's good to say, wow, that is great, well done. As long as you take the next step and say, haven't we got a great God who has gifted you to do that? Isn't he great? And these people here in Genesis chapter 11 they twisted everything. Life was all about them and their name being great. I'd love it if we were a church where we say, you know, I, I want to build a city. I want to build a city so the name of Jesus Christ is, is, is proclaimed throughout that city. I want to build a house so I can use it for hospitality so the name of Jesus Christ might be made known. I want an amazing job with, with a big salary not so that I'm a member, but so that I've got money so that the gospel can go out and Jesus Christ might be known throughout the world. I want to go on an overseas trip. Not so that I can be somebody, but so I can learn more and more about my amazing God and his amazing creation. It's that attitude which says, life is not about me or my name, but our great God and his name. That was one of the sins of these people. But the second, I think, is more subtle. It's in the second half of verse 4. They built this city. It wasn't built on rock and roll. They built this city not to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What is wrong with that? What's wrong with it is that when God made his world, he, he gave them a, a creation command was to, to multiply and to do what? To fill the earth. To procreate and to go out and to fill the space that God had created. But these people, they're like huddling together. They're like gathering together. Why? Why do you like gathering of people? Because it makes you feel safe and secure. And it's much more comfortable, isn't it, just to be with people who are like you and talk like you and act like you and speak like you and dress like you and you know, I want to be with my little clique of people gathered with people who love me and will affirm me and adore me and it's just power in numbers. That's what these people in Babel did. They gathered themselves in their little city with people who are just like them hanging out in their cliques and I reckon that's again what we do all the time. 
I was chatting to someone at church, not at this congregation, different congregation. I have talked to them this week about saying this. And off the church, I said, oh, can you go and talk to that person over there? And they said, oh, but they're not like me. I thought, what do you mean I'm not, not like, oh, they, they're different. I, I, don't, I wouldn't, know what, wouldn't know what to say to them. Well, you talk to them like you talk to anybody. Oh, I'd rather not. I've got people to catch up with. That's how the conversation went. Words to that effect. And that's one extreme example. But, you know, I see it happening uh, even after 5 o'clock, even after 6.30. End of the service, everyone goes into little huddles, little clicks. The married couple's over here, single's over there, the older people over there, and the people who don't quite fit in over there. And we just talk to our little, little crowd, the in-groups, our in-clicks. And we just gather with people who are like us. Why do you do that? Because it makes us feel needed and special and important and somebody's and it's just easier. And that's one of the sins here. That heart attitude where life's about me and my name and people who are like me. And what is God's verdict? What's God's verdict? Look at verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the men were building. It's just dripping with irony, isn't it? They think they've built this amazing city with this enormous tower and the Lord has to literally stoop down <laughs> to see it. Because from the heights of heaven and from the glory of heaven, this is just a, a blip on the landscape. You can have the, the tallest tower in the world and you think it's this amazing monument, but to God it's just a, it's just a blip. And what does he say in verse 6? The Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. They've started to act like gods and they think they're so powerful because they can build a tower and they think they're so clever because they can build a city and they think they're so important. So what's God going to do to them? Verse 7, come, let us go down. Spot the Trinitarian language, let us go down. Uh, last time that was used was in chapter 1, let us make man in our image. Now he says, let us go down, not, not, not to make man, but to judge them. And how does he judge them? It's global confusion. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they won't be able to understand each other. And we think, oh, it's not that bad. It could be worse. And God could have wiped them out by a flood. That would be much worse, wouldn't it? I reckon this judgment is far, far worse because what happens when you confuse people's languages? Well, when you confuse their languages, they start fighting over what is right and wrong. And when they confuse their languages, they can't understand each other and they start to get frustrated. And when you confuse their language, actually they, they start to wipe each other out rather than God just wiping them out. Have you ever bought a, an electrical appliance and you open it up and you're starting to use it and you open up the instruction manual and it's all in Japanese or it's in Mandarin and you're like, how on earth am I supposed to do this? And so you just sort of I know, fumble around, sticking things in, hoping it's going to work. And in the end, it's just really frustrating because you can't understand the manual. I reckon that's what it was like on that first day. Can you imagine going to the building site and you've got one guy over here saying, 
I want these houses to be built like this, and I want the cement to be mixed like this, but they can't understand each other anymore because their languages are different. Uh, I, don't want, I want double glazing in this house, but you can't understand each other because you're speaking different languages now. What happens? You get really frustrated and you get really angry, and you're like, but I don't get it. And so what happens when you confuse languages? Uh, everyone who speaks one language goes over here. Everyone who speaks another language goes over here. And you've got the start of different cliques and different nations and different cultures. Isn't that what happens? You know, uh, we leave Australia and we go and live over in Shanghai. But you know, 90% of people who do that just live amongst the expat community and speak English because it's just easier because <laughs> you understand each other. And that's what happens here. And eventually it's too difficult to live together. So verse, verse 8, the Lord scattered them from, from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole, uh, whole world. That is God's judgment. We're supposed to look at our globe and look at our different cultures and look at our different countries and our different languages and say that's the consequence of this human condition called, called pride where we want to be important and make a name for ourselves. The world is not the way that God created it. It's not the way God intended it. And it all started here in Genesis chapter 11. What I want to do now is do something slightly unusual. I want to read chapter 10 to you. And you might flick your eyes down to it and you think, what are you going to do? <laughs> read all these names out. And uh, forgive me if I mispronounce some of them. But the purpose of this is to show you that this list is not just a list of names, it's a list of nations. It's the start of our world, it's the start of our globe. At 10 verse 1, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Uh, the sons of Japheth were Goma, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiraz. They're all kind of the the places in the Iranian plains uh, or the Turkish coast. Uh, and you can find them mentioned again in Ezekiel and in 1 Chronicles. The sons of Goma were Ashkenaz and Riphath and Togoma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, that's found in the book of Jonah, the Kittim and the Rodanim. And from these, the maritime peoples spread over into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. You're supposed to stop and go, okay, these were the first sea people, the first uh, maritime people. These are the people who actually discovered sea trade. That's where it all started. Verse 6. The sons of Ham. Okay, what's going through your brain now? The sons of Ham. Who's Ham? Uh, Ham's the man who, in Genesis chapter 9, saw his father's nakedness. He disrespected his father, and so he was cursed. What are his sons going to be like? Well, his sons are Cush, Mizraim, or literally Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush were Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Rama, and Sabtaka. And the sons of Rama were Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrob, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the, on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
the first centers of his kingdom were, oh, were Babylon. Oh, well, they're the nations who opposed Israel and opposed God's people. And Erech and Akkad and Kalna in Shinar. And from that land he went into Assyria. Oh, Assyria was a nation that really opposed God's people and wiped them out. Where he built Nineveh. Oh, they're the people who hated God. Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that's a great city. And you spot how, if you know your Bibles, let's flick down to verse 15. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Who are all those people? If you know your Bibles, they're all the people who opposed Israel, who opposed God's people, who, who mocked God, who laughed at God, and it started here. And then you get the sons of Shem. Verse 21, sons were born to Shem, whose older brothers was Japheth. Verse 22, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphadax, Lud, and Aram. And you go to me, Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> Why bother reading this? Who cares? Tell you who cares, God cares. Because these are names of real people who lived on earth and their names have been recorded for all eternity. You know, no one will remember your name in 50 years' time, chances are. But the name of Gomar and Magog and Madai, they're here for all eternity. Because God wanted these people to be remembered. Whenever I read genealogies, two things come to mind. One is that you know, our faith has real historical roots. You can trace your faith back through the centuries, down the history lines, back and back and back from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation, all the way back to creation. What other religion can do that? In our culture, We don't really care about our family history, our family tree. But we should. We really should. Because we can trace it back through history. It teaches us that, uh, you know, that God is concerned for the nations. He knows the nations who scoff at him. He knows the nations who will oppose him. But more than that, when I read these genealogies, the thing that always reminds me of is this. It's a word I often use. It's called generational consequences. And I know psychologists and psychiatrists will try and deny this or try and play it down, but there are consequences from one generation to the next. Your life now is impacted by your parents and your grandparents. And you will impact the generations to come, whether you like it or not, for good or for bad. And you see that in his genealogies. One generation hated God, and all their sons hated God as well. One generation loved God and worshipped God, and the following generation did the same. I'm not from a Christian family, and I'm so thankful to God that he plucked me by his grace, and he, he taught me who Jesus Christ was, but... I look at families who have grown up with Christian parents and Christian grandparents and Christian great-grandparents and they've had the the scriptures taught them and they've had the Christian life modeled to them and you just see the impact from one generation to the next. And equally, I know people whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were so opposed to God 
And you see it from generation to generation. Let's think about it. Let's push it a bit further. If you, if God blesses you with kids, if you desire your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to have a, a close relationship with Jesus, what's the best thing that you can do right now? You can walk closely with Jesus today and model to your kids what it means to live for Jesus and make sacrifices for Jesus and to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. There's no guarantee God's sovereign, God will choose who are his. Christian parents who, who model hospitality and, and open up their home and always got Christians in their home and feeding them and, and serving Jesus and their kids, yeah, surprise, surprise, they're hospitable. There's a guy called John Edwards. He's a famous preacher many, many years ago. He used to pray five generational prayers. So he would pray for his kids, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren, his great-great-great-grandchildren, who'd never met. But he would he'd pray that, that the Lord of heaven... <laughs> would save these people and they'd be mighty warriors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life will impact your children and your grandchildren. Um, Bigger than that, the nation. What we as a church do today, the truths that we hold on to today will shape the church of tomorrow and the generation to come. It just takes one or two generations to lose a tooth. And when you read this genealogy, you're supposed to say, yeah, that's right. What I do impacts those who come after me. You see how these kind of genealogies are so important? The sons of Noah came to the nations and the subcultures and the peoples and the language. And that's the world that we live in today. It's a messed up world. And yeah, go back to the beginning. Don't you long for a united world? One nation, one people, one hope. I'm really sorry to tell you, but that's just a pipe dream. We can pour millions of dollars trying to unite our world. And all the pop stars of the world can gather together and sing, we are the world, we are the children. That's not going to help. What we need is, is something or, or someone who will bring us together uh, with the universal language, with a universal truth that will cross all our cultural barriers and all our social customs. Now, who is that person who will do that? Just flick over to Luke chapter 3, to another genealogy. It's on page 726. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph. Okay, down to verse 35. The son of Serech, the son of Ruth, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphathax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of, of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalal, son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And you see how our Lord Jesus Christ started there. 
started with the sons of Shem, next generation to next generation to next generation, and it was all God's plan to bring his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be crucified, who would be risen, who would ascend, who would be glorified. And friends, he is the one. He's the only one who can unite nations. He's the only person who can bring people of different language and different tribes and different social customs, and he brings them together as one. Remember the book of Acts? We had it read to us the day of Pentecost. People from different languages and different tongues heard the same sermon, and God in his wisdom was taking his gospel out into the world. And when that gospel goes out, when that good news goes out, when that universal language goes out, he unites people. In our church here today, at Church by the Bridge, we've got Mexicans, Indians, Armenians, uh, Egyptians, French, Canadians, Americans, Swiss, Germans, English, Scottish, Irish, Thai, Malaysians, Koreans, Spanish, South Africans, many, many, many more. Different nations, different cultures, different languages, and who's brought them all together? Why are they here in this one building? The Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever been to a church in a different country, I've been lots of times in different countries, and I don't speak the language. And I sit in, in this building, and I listen to this sermon, a language I don't understand, and they sing songs I don't understand, but there's something or somebody who unites us. There's a unity there, and it's called the gospel. It's called Jesus Christ. And, and friends, we have been given that gospel to take out into the world, to scatter with it, to unite the world, to unite the people. And we need people to go. It might mean that you take the gospel to uh, your workplace, here in Kirribilli or beyond. It might mean you go overseas and learn a different language. Why? To unite the world as one. And yeah, that's costly. It might mean that you don't gather with people that you like and speak the same language and wear the same clothes and like the same things, but hey, you're going out with the gospel. And it might mean you never make a name for yourself. It might mean that you, go, you, you die and no one ever remembers you. But it might mean that on that last day in history, when people surround a throne, there will be people from every tribe, every people, every language, every tongue, worshipping Jesus because you went. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Uh, we are the world, we are the people. We're going to make the world a better place, so let's start giving. Change will only come, friends, when you and I live the gospel, preach the gospel, and the man Jesus Christ unites the world as one. And you've been included, and I've been included. So let's uh, not pretend we want to make a name for ourselves. Let's say, we want to make a name of Jesus great. Uh, please help me to do that. Let me pray. Our Father, I want to thank you for our Lord Jesus who, who willingly sacrificed himself, who rose, who was ascended. and We thank you, Father, for that universal language of hope and truth and grace and mercy. And we thank you that he crosses all our cultural bar uh, barriers and our social divides. So, Father, please give us boldness and courage 
and humility as we preach Christ. Forgive us, Father, for the times when life is all about us and making a name for ourselves. And make us a people, please, who long to make the name of Jesus Christ great. And I ask that for his name's sake.